This podcast series has been made possible through an exclusive sponsorship from SA's number one nano-influencer platform, The Salt. Most brands have a communication line to their existing customers, but not a way to get them to have additional positive brand conversations. The Salt solves the problem by identifying brand fans and getting them to talk more about their positive brand experiences. The Salts have a database of over 140,000 registered brand fans and in-depth information on each to perfectly match your brand to the right influencers. Reach out to them now and see what they can do for you. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle. Please get in touch with us on our Facebook page, follow us, like us, whatever it takes. We would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as I know this industry is capable of. Hey Gordon, how's it going? It's going really well, Doug. I'm uh, looking forward to hearing about the state of your investments in the White Boy Spiritual Trust. Have you made any recoveries in the last week? Uh, I know you had a bad bad time of it a week or two back. Uh, have you managed to recover your capital? No, no, we're not chatting about we're that. We're not talking no. about… We're uh, talking uh, strictly about young guns today, rising stars, Gordon. I love remember? it. And for me, it's it's been really interesting because… The young folks we've had on the show have put a different spin on very predictable stuff or what I thought was predictable when I realized somebody with, you know, with a different lens has made it look new and refreshing. So, yeah, very excited again about this one. Yeah, and I think it's part of the theme that we've continued, Gordon. You know, we spoke at length last year about, I don't want to use the word reinvention, but we spoke about education, keeping your, yourself fresh. Uh, and so on, and today's no exception. Uh, you know, as I say, I judged uh, part of the panel on on rising stars, top under thirty five year old marketers in South Africa. And again, Aria Aria Kalman, uh, welcome. Thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, man, good to see you uh, during the day. At night, obviously, I would be a rising star. So <laughs> it's nice to be here uh, during the day. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and like the, the guy who wrote the copy, ironically, he said, just because you can't see a star in, day, in the day doesn't mean it's not shining. So I guess <laughs> that's from a, from a point of view. But I mean, uh, seriously, though, thanks very much for time. We're going to chat about you, not only your entry 
which is interesting, but tilt, and, and we want to talk about that and your journey. So again, you know, and, and Gordon, it's not just for young marketers, it's for all marketers out there uh, who want to learn and listen and, and have a different view. So Aria, thanks very much for your time. Let's just start at the start. Four-year-old company, and geez, going through your list of credentials, it's impressive. I mean, you guys have got some big blue chip companies you've worked with, you know, just in no particular order from Nespresso to Colgate to Kellogg's, Investec and a host of others. And then also personalities, you know, Mops Mopaniani, who's a, a great guy, I know him very well. Brian Abana, I know Brian really well. The All Blacks, I mean, so let's just talk a little bit about that journey, the, the brands you're working with and also the personalities. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, at its core, it's a content production and influencer marketing agency. Um, I think the advantage that I had coming into it was that I'd never really worked in traditional advertising before. Um, so I didn't realize that these clients were sort of difficult to get. <laughs> I mean, I quickly learned um, that they were. But I think, you know, we've kind of flipped the model without having a prior experience of advertising into this kind of like, we do a piece of work, we bill for that piece of work. The idea of a retainer is not in our sort of framework. Um, it's very much you have a business challenge. We come in and we solve it using the power of influence. Um, and I think, you know, the clients that we've had have been consistent clients um, because we consistently solve business challenges that they have creatively through influences and through great content. Um, so the model is perhaps different. And the more I engage with bigger agencies, the more I realize how different it is. Uh, but it's it's the model that's allowed us to kind of really cut through the clutter and pack a punch in terms of punching above our weight from a sort of client perspective. Yeah, and I think I mean the interesting point in that, and I was I was kind of almost breaking on a bit of a smile when I heard you say you try to solve client problems. You know what I mean? It's it's like, but isn't that obvious, Gordon? You know, and so often marketing people, or agencies, or client side or whatever aren't they don't go out trying to solve a problem. They go out to do something else, you know what I mean? Whatever that something else may be, on the most obscure side, it's to win an award, and then all the way through to make a cool piece of work, to do something creative, to like uh, have a purpose, you know, all the stuff we're smoking mm. about. But at the end of the day, you say, but have you actually identified is there need, is there problem? No, well, I mean, that's like a byproduct. Why would we worry about that, you know? And I guess from your point of view, as a newish agency going out, fighting up against some really big guys, you've got to have a very clear problem that you want to solve or issue or solution that you want to propose. Yeah, no, I mean, I think one of the things you just said, Aria, and I'm going to try and get your name right because I spent <laughs> the last podcast calling Robin Bronwyn, I think. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm on a naught out of 10 at the moment. Um, but you talked about you don't do retainers. You, 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 yeah. you look at the task and, and you respond to the task. Now, I think your other comment was, you know, fortunately, uh, I don't come from a traditional advertising background. That in itself is a tragic reality. There was a time when coming from a traditional advertising background would have propelled you into the space of creative thinking and creative solutions. But how sad is it, and I think it's not an unfair comment, to think that it's our burden um, in, in a shift environment. But you know, the issue of retainers is if I'm in a retainer, I find I do what I do best. I've got, it's like a lawyer, it's like X number of hours. So I just keep doing what I do as opposed to pausing, reflecting and say, this isn't on my retainer. This isn't on my KPI list. But it's a problem that needs resolving. And, and I think that's an interesting observation, which I'm going to really digest. Uh, how much of our behavior in traditional advertising is being governed by retainers rather than that kind of problem-solving mentality? Mm. And I think just one of the other points, and I think it comes from some of the work out of, out of Eat Big Fish and Challenger Brand thinking about being intelligently naive. 
uh, and it's around around being intelligent, but being naive enough to ask those so-called stupid questions. You know that I guess you know once you're an incumbent agency, you don't want to ask that question because after three or four or five years, you should you should have known the answer. And I think that's just part of that inquiry. And I mean, Robin made the point about curiosity, and again, it's it's sometimes an overtraded word and an overused word in in the space of being curious and and much like I guess storytelling. But I but I. If, if I take the cliche out of it, I believe that. You know, I believe it's storytelling and I believe one should be curious. So, yeah, that's great. Let's just talk a little bit about so the work that you're currently doing with those brands. You say you've worked out that they, sometimes it's not, not as simple as you thought, but, <laughs> you know, you're obviously doing really well. And, and again, let's just talk about some of the, your colleagues and, and we're going to chat a little bit about your team because you're right and, uh, and, and part of your interview was very passionate about growing people, growing your team. But let's talk about Tilt as an organization. Uh, just give us a, a high-level view on, on some of the stuff that you're up to. Yes, I was, I was quite sad the other day. I drove past um, the Standard Bank head office in Rosebank, and um, just next door to it, they had an incubator, which was kind of just this open coffee shop space that you could go hang out. And we actually spent our first six months um, of Tilt there with sort of no offices. That building is to let now. So Standard Bank actually really should bring that incubator back because <laughs> yeah. it, it did work. Um, but we've grown it to a team of about eight people. Um, we have sort of two people that predominantly just do video content um, because obviously there's such a high demand for it and sort of fast effective video. Um, then there's an accounts team of a few people. Um, and then there's I sort of oversee the creative I have a business partner that ran an agency called HDI Youth for many years before they sold into TBWA. Um, and he's kind of been instrumental in building the business model, um, whereas I've been able to lead with kind of the sort of, you know, integrating into culture and understanding what young people are about and building campaigns that sort of speak to that. Um, and then we have a general manager. So it's a team of, of eight people and then a really big sort of pool of freelancers. Um, and people that we trust that we can sort of call on to create content. So we produce probably in excess of about 80 to 100 video content pieces a year. The influencers produce their own content pieces, which adds to that. We do quite a bit of sort of um, static photography. Um, and, you know, we view the influencer as sort of an opportunity to connect with audiences that resonate with the brand. Um, but we take very seriously what content that influencer is creating um, because we know that you can have an influencer with a reach of X, but if you give them something that doesn't resonate with them and resonate with the audience, it's not going to get picked up by the algorithm organically at least. Um, and you're not going to really get the return on investment that you want. So we believe that content is imperative and then that content has to be applicable to the influencer and engage with them and the brand in a authentic way. So it's hyper human first. Mm. Um, a lot of people view influencers as media channels and to a large extent they can be, but on the sort of more curated brand storytelling um, side of things, you need to have a human connection and really almost like, I mean, I'm Jewish, so we always speak about a shidduch, which is someone that matchmakes people. But there's got to be this kind of matchmaking and chemistry between an influencer and a brand um, because it is the modern day word of mouth advertising. You know, you know, it's quite interesting about that is that 
it's the work, the work that needs to get done by, say, a person like yourself to understand where the brand is and where you think the brand could go without just cookie cutting it. You know, you know how many proposals, Gordon, I got across my desk through the years that it's literally cut and paste. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm surprised they even had made the effort to change the name, my name on the front of it. But it's there was absolutely no resonance with where we were in our journey as a brand. No thought, no care, not everyone, but enough. I continue what, and, and you look at this, you say to yourself, but it's vanilla. So now I've got to sit down and take a platform and do the work when let's rather look at, as you say, you know, understanding where it is and try to find that matchmaker, the easier it is. And also, Ari, you make an interesting point about platforms and people, you know, and I think, and again, one of the things that I highlighted uh, is the fact that, you know, you say, of course, an influencer can be a media channel, and many times it is, but you view them as people first. So you've got that human-centric approach. So it's a two-part question. Let's just chat about that, so the influencer, and then secondly, your view on, on the people you grow and your staff. You make a point about about purpose and profit and, and people, and, you know, you don't want to put the profit ahead of the people. So if you can, please answer the influencer one first, and then secondly, your own team and how you grow them. Yeah, so I mean, I think when it comes to sort of selecting influencers for a brand, um, and uh, when we get into these conversations with brands, it's such a, it's probably the hard, one of the hardest things for a brand to sign off because they too are on Instagram and they too have an idea of who they think is going to really be someone that can encapsulate their product and promote their product. Um, but I mean, I'll give a, a working example. At the moment, we're working um, on a toothpaste. Um, that is vegan and fully recyclable. So we've had to really go and find influencers that have an established narrative of caring about the environment, that work with organizations that genuinely promote sustainability. Um, and we, we can't necessarily always guarantee we're going to do a reach job. We have to work with someone who for years now has been an advocate of sustainability because you can't just come in at the end and say, well, now this person cares about this thing. Mm -hmm. And that requires a lot of sort of human sensibility that you can't get out of an mm -hmm. algorithm because you have to go Google them, figure out what they're about, know, sort of speak to people that may have engaged with them, chat to some of their followers, and really have a deep understanding of them being passionate about this thing. Which, unfortunately, to a lot of people in advertising, is like, that seems like quite a process because we're very reactive. Um, and I, we find that all the time with sort of different brands that it's, it's almost like we need to tick the box of doing this. We have an allocation for spend. We do this campaign. We launch this product. We move on to the next thing. Um, there's very, very often people don't step back and say, well, what are we actually trying to achieve and do before we put this into a media plan and a content plan and brief the agency and brief the station and then try and get this all together. Um, so that influencer brand relationship is a human relationship. Um, and we really, through what we call culture scanning, try and find influencers that are speaking about stuff naturally and then on Instagram can actually promote something. Because audiences know that it's promoted. So if you're going to try and get them to believe it, you may as well at least you know, align a product and a belief system of that brand to an influencer that has established that they too believe in that. Um, and we strive extensively to do that. I think it's about doing less, um, but having that less be a lot more. And I know everyone says that, but I mean, I think we genuinely believe in it. And then from a sort of people um, and profit perspective, I think we sometimes just assume that the way in which this industry works and the speed at which it operates is just correct. That there's something right about someone messaging you at 8 o'clock at night saying that they need something for tomorrow. No one is going to live or die if 
the font size is not changed by seven o'clock the next morning. No one needs something at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Genuinely, they're not going to be sending it to anybody. Um, and there's a fundamental problem in the culture, I think, of advertising in SA that we're so afraid and consistently being told, well, you know, you should be grateful to have this business and actually we could just put another agency on this and then all the people working for you would just switch to that agency anyway. Mm -hmm. That there isn't really this grow a meaningful, deep relationship with the brand and it applies to the people as well because you have to build a culture um, that's going to be resilient to that culture and that macro environment you find yourselves in. So we find ourselves in a macro environment with demanding clients because people are demanding stuff out of them. But within our micro environment, which is what we can control, which is our team of eight people, we have to consistently be building each other up and uplifting each other and not trying to throw each other under the bus. Because unfortunately, I think there's a lot of culture in agencies and in bigger brands in SA where it's just like we need to tick the box if you're not helping me tick the box as it's been ticked for as many years as it has then you're part of the problem and it's the wrong way of doing things um, and I mean you come onto a space like this which is you know hearing lots of different people speak to how progressive advertising is in SA and certainly from a technological standpoint it probably is but the culture of being always on and it's been amplified by sort of COVID and always being afraid to make a mistake mm. in case you get fired as the agency or as the person. That culture doesn't breed any form of innovation. So within our micro team, we're very strong at sort of celebrating times that we've messed up um, and being quite sort of human with each other. Mm. Um, and again, it's something everyone says, but it, it is something that we believe because this macro environment is wrong. Eight o'clock texts for the font size change is wrong. Um, and we have to be a part of protecting our ecosystem when we go into that broader space. Hashtag no filter. That's how this podcast is delivering real down-to-earth stories told by real people. For an influencer campaign that takes brand conversation to everyday real-life situations, go check out thesalt.co.za. They are the undisputed experts in real influencer marketing. Yeah. Interesting. Sorry, Gordon. No, so no, I should go. make one point here. You know, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, it's the controllables you can control and, and you should and, and you do. But it's, I, I don't know uh, the survival mindset after last year, you know. A agency survival mindset, this doggy dog, you know, whether it's got worse now. Because, you know, we know what's happened. We had, In the first half of the year, you know, we had people on uh, last year, Gordon, with, with numbers, statistics. You know, you look at the, how the advertising revenue just plummeted. Mm. But it's not a, not a secret. So what I'm trying to say is, and, and accounts have been lost and people, People have gone on a, on a, on a have had to cut salaries. So I'm just wondering now whether some of that bad behavior has actually got worse over the last year. Yeah, look, there's no question that last year was a, was a disaster. But towards the back end of last year and into the beginning of, of 2021, we saw that there was recovery in investment. So I think there's a realization amongst marketers, and this is the good news, is that when you don't advertise, um, you do miss, you lose something. Mm. So there's a shift. There's also an interesting kind of realization as well that there's the balance between uh, the digital space and traditional media. So <clears throat> it's something I noticed uh, in a Reckman report the other day, which I found absolutely fascinating, that Procter & Gamble, I think, is still probably the biggest advertiser in the world, or Unilever, the normal suspects. Number two is Amazon. <clears throat> but Amazon is also a top 10 advertiser in traditional media specifically. So they're the second biggest advertiser in the world, but a top 10 in traditional. And I always thought, gee whiz, 
if there was any brand in the world that you think would be wholly reliant on digital would be Amazon. So there's also a growing awareness that you've got to balance the, the, the two things out. Um, just coming back to the issue of, of uh, you know, social media generally and, and uh, influencers, one of the memes which came out of last year is, is trust that the brands must be trusted, and that's a point you raised. If there's a disconnect between, you, you can't go and sell vegan toothpaste, you know, for a brand that's been making toothpaste out of, uh, you know, beef hards for the last 20 years, it does, it does disconnect. So how, how do you factor in the trust now, when you're looking at uh, this process of identifying influencers, how do you play the trust? Is there a trust algorithm, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I wish there was. I wish there were <laughs> that sophisticated <laughs> yeah. that there was. Yeah. You know, I think part of what we've done really well is we've built really good relationships with different influencers. We know them at sort of a human level. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite easy to get a sense of a brand when you work with them for an extensive period of time, an objective sense versus their sense of themselves, which is always going to be sort of highly ego-driven. Um, and I think that when you kind of figure out that human nuance and it's so ironic to talk about mm. humanity in a context of influences because people do think of it in a hyper digital context but when you think about mixing that humanity um, into the mix of the brand and the influencer it's quite a natural human intuition it's like you know how do you choose your friends in your life how do you connect with your family um, and these sound like very esoteric very poetic ways of looking at it but to generate real influence requires real human engagement. On the other end of Instagram is not some bot sitting there saying, I like this post, I don't. Um, and, you know, while a lot of stuff can be faked on social media, it doesn't always last in the long run. Um, so that, and I mean, everyone speaks about authenticity all the time, but it's a hyper-human approach to who is this person, what are their values, what are they about, what do I know from them in the media and how they engage on social media, and who is this brand and what is this brand trying to achieve, and where's the mix between the two. And the other thing to be said is that sometimes there isn't a mix. Some brands shouldn't use influencers. You know, if you're an insect spray, it's very difficult to use an influencer on social media to say, wow, this is a really great insect spray. Um, and just because the opportunity is there to use influencers doesn't mean that you should. Um, and we've been quite open with some brands that have come to us and said, like, to be honest, we can do this campaign for you, but I know for a fact that when we do a final report, it actually would have been better for you to just run a billboard or do a traditional piece because you're a brand that can speak about itself easily. But to get other people to speak about you and care about you naturally, even though they are being paid, but to have some sense of care about you, it's just going to come off as inauthentic and it's not going to do its job. Yeah, but I mean, Gordon, you made the point uh, one of the previous episodes about being honest. You know, sometimes as a brand owner, as a brand custodian, as a product manager, CMO, whatever, you got to look at your own product and say to yourself, you know, how how does this thing fit into the world? And so, yeah, absolutely, a bit of introspection and product honesty. Yeah, and, is, and is not a bad place to start. Yeah, and and for me, there's there's a clear divide um, between global players and local players. You're talking about solutions. You can pitch a solution-orientated response to a local player because he's in touch with his business and he's responsible, the primary beneficiary or the primary person gets a whack on the head for, for a campaign that doesn't work. But the global guys have got formulas. You're, trying to, you're just trying to de-risk you know, de it and playing in a safe space and then nothing happens. Uh, 
um, you don't win, you don't lose. It just becomes a very formulaic, and I'm on a retainer, as we spoke earlier. <laughs> we just we we just keep doing what we've always done. Mm -hmm. So there's no there's no room. I, I find if I look at the global players I worked with, there's no room for honesty within that. You try going to your you know group marketing director in New York and tell him that he's made a cock up here in South Africa and there have been a couple that I've seen um, talking toothpaste one of them would have been Aquafresh if I go back five or six years ago they got a global directive to, to change their packaging um, and they changed the packaging and the brand went on a one year hiding it took them a year to recover the lost sales nothing shifted not the pricing not the distribution not anything just the packaging mm. and nobody had the you know, the knackers quite frankly to go back and say are you off your trolley yeah. or alternatively they i think it in fairness i think they did have the knackers to go mm. back but the guys sitting over there weren't listening to the local place so do you find that when you're dealing uh, you know with a global advertiser versus a local business that you have more latitude to address the issue of outcomes and the and you know the bespoke response yeah i mean i think i i can speak to sort of the global sort of um brands that we've worked with i think that there is almost a bit of a self-actualization happening from that marketing manager in new york that maybe he's starting to realize a little bit more that he doesn't know everything about the country that he's signing off something for um, and unfortunately, it takes things like that sort of toothpaste bombing out for people to make that realization. Um, and a lot of overseas brands do speak to kind of localizing stuff. Um, and that's because it, it works. So unfortunately, I think you have to travel the journey. You have to put up the international piece of creative. You have to see how people respond to it. And then you have to say, you know, we really need to do something localized here and then prove yeah. the ROI. We're all, you know, we're all fighting to sort of, express that our opinion is the the right opinion and we should you should have a little bit of skin in the game um and it's there is no sort of final perfect mix to how it can or, or can't sort of work but we're lucky with digital that it's it becomes quite quantifiable um to say okay cool you put a picture of the overseas i mean we work quite a lot with um estee lauder companies which is massive sort of cosmetics house and it's, it's quite easy to say, okay, cool, let's see how the overseas piece does, let's see how the local piece does, and let's sort of benchmark between the two. And sometimes the overseas piece will surprise you, sometimes the local piece will surprise you, but we're all learning as we're going. Um, what's great, though, is that there's this overall idea that we're, I think we're starting to see consumers more as individuals because they are. Um, and that's what's always attracted me to influencers is, you know, you can have someone with 10,000 followers and those followers love fly fishing and like anything to do with fly fishing they're going to eat that up mm. um, and and it's about niche audiences so we always want to do the reach job but we want to do the engagement job as well and those are kind of the two lenses that you have to look at it with just coming back to the personal thing and I think that's an in interesting point you've raised there I mean one of our problems in traditional media is we've always inherited a creative brief which described a person an individual but we didn't have uh, the tools to implement that at a personal level. So we tried to then place that position, that person within a group. And we went back with a sort of a watered-down group solution to the thing. But the personalization is is critical. How do you see that kind of thinking playing out as we go into a post-cookie environment now, um, where to a degree that personalization will be limited? Is there is there a big play shift coming up, or is it just finessing what we do? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's always, I, when I say it out loud, I kind of think to myself, like, maybe you've got this wrong, dude, because I'm so hyper-human first in this very digital age. I mean, I know Instagram are listening to me right now, and if I say the word Adidas, they're going to serve me 100 Adidas ads through the, for the rest of the day. Um, but I think even though digital is becoming so sort of data-led um, and data-driven, it is always going to be a combination of mad maths which is sort of the data and then mad men which is kind of you know the golden age of creative advertising that really cuts through the clutter and unfortunately to make that creative you have to have a little bit of gut and you can't be led by the data you have to sort of believe it as a person um, and once it goes into that data sort of space it'll tell you whether it works or it or it doesn't i hope i'm answering your question no you are i mean i love i love the balance i like mad maths versus mad men doug knows my uh my standard mantra is steal with dignity, share with a smile. I have every intention of stealing that phrase and using it and, uh, without giving you any credit whatsoever. So watch this space. <laughs> uh, just um, as, we, as we sort of move towards the back end of our chat, and, and again, thanks for your time. Just we've spoken about a lot of stuff, you know, uh, and just imparting the last few comments for, I want to say young marketers, but for any marketers out there, what would you say are some of the key attributes, key skills that you believe people need to display and embrace today and, and into the future? I think, and you know, I always used to get intimidated by 200 slide decks, which is what we see a lot of when we work with the Sorry, different I'm, brands. I'm, just, I'm trying to simulate my head banging on the wall. Yeah, can I do that on the mic? Um, I used to get super in, super intimidated by it. And in the beginning oh, yeah. of it, like if you haven't really worked in advertising before, you think to yourself, sure, well, is this what it's supposed to be? Is it supposed to be a 200 slide deck with 150 different executions and a million different treatments and moods and ways to do it and a hundred different options for the carousel and you know it's it's i mean it's mnc sachi's sort of line but brutal simplicity of thought um and i think that you f you can feel guilty walking into a meeting and saying this is the idea and this is what we want to do you know with the six fundamentals of storytelling what where how who who many why um but you've got to actually sometimes be the person that simplifies it um, and believes in the simplification of it because that's the most sophisticated execution that you're going to get. And it's, I mean, advertising is intimidating. As a small agency being on a call with 150 different people that, you know, fill the rooms with, with different awards. Um, but there is a role to play. And when you start showcasing that ROI, there's no difference between you and them. Um, the only difference perhaps is that you see a business problem and you have a solution for it. And whoever has the best solution for a business problem actually is the person that should get the work and do the work. And we've been lucky that we've been able to showcase how we see a problem and we find a solution using influence and using content mm -hmm. and using digital. So don't be, I think, intimidated is probably my biggest piece. Go in, if you believe in your idea, it doesn't matter whether you're 21 or 52 or 33, um, you've got to kind of get some skin in the game and just don't be intimidated by these massive ecosystems and these articles online that say this person's just won this 400 million rand account and you think like, how am I ever going to break into this thing? Um, because your individual thinking is actually what sets you apart and it's, it's your magic. And what I've, I've enjoyed about your individual thinking uh, is reading back on some of your journey. I mean, 
Doc and I are furiously taking notes here, uh, tips on podcasting. I mean, you've walked the <laughs> podcast route. You've been involved with Gareth Cliff. Um, you know, it's a re- you were on SABC2, Vuzu V Entertainment. Uh, the one that I had completely missed was the 5FM YouTube, uh, 5FM TV. So yeah. I mean, just how, how do you know, what what is the difference between being the superstar on the screen versus monitoring and utilizing the superstar on the screen as a as as a marketing tool you know i i mean i I remember when i was on kids tv and i was working in production at vuzu and i would go on kids tv and it would take me about like two three minutes of a live sort of link to earn what it would the whole month working as a production assistant at vuzu um and i think the biggest advantage that came out of it is is really you should know every angle of the ecosystem you don't have to be an art director but you should understand what they do you don't have to be a runner on a production but you should understand what they do because if you operate solely in your space um you don't have an idea of what it is that takes to make something so whether you kind of in front of it or behind it and i now definitely prefer being behind it um you have to understand what this whole thing is. Who's controlling the sound levels? What program are they using? Um, you know, what is your mic technique like? What are you saying as the presenter? Mm. How has the producer played a role? Um, and it, it really has, I think, benefited me massively that when you're on a set, whether it's of 10 people or 100 people, that you have an appreciation of what every single person is trying to do. Um, and though you're trying to become a master at your own sort of role in that, you realize that you don't operate in isolation. And I think it's it's one of the, the pitfalls of a lot of people in advertising that they work in isolation. Yep. And they don't realize that their creative is going to go into this huge ecosystem where it's going to, you know, people are going to invest millions in it and they're going to judge it in 150 different ways. And if there was a stronger understanding of everyone's role in getting something out there and getting a piece of brand comes out there, I think the work would shift a little bit. Um, and maybe be a little bit more nuanced and sensitive to the different roles that different people play. There's no small player on a call. You know, you go in and you think there's a lead agency, the PR, the experiential or whatever, and you feel like there's this hierarchy. Um, and you shouldn't because everyone has a role to play in getting that piece out there. Yeah, that, that's a wonderful wrap. I'm going to leave it at that. I, I can't improve on that as an observation. Uh, Doc, so, Ari, great to have you on the show. Thanks for that. I've really, really enjoyed some of the points you've raised this morning. And I think uh, you've made it comprehensible, which which is nice. A lot of the, the digital stuff is, is almost at times to me seems to be deliberately blurred <laughs> to prevent normal people from understanding. What, I've really understood it, which is a good benchmark tick box. Yeah. Over to you, Doc. Yeah, I think Gordon, you know, and again, just to, to reiterate just one or two points. I mean, it's honesty in terms of the good and the bad of your product and, and your craft. Um, understanding and having appreciation and empathetic view of other people, the journey that they're walking. And I think, you know, one of the things we've, again, implored on, on, on people, I guess, young marketers and, and, and marketers across the board is to try and understand your business better. You know, you're talking about cocooning and, and, and verticals. and the, Often people do. They get involved in, in just their part. You know, they don't get involved in product uh, development. They don't get involved in pricing. They don't get involved in channels. You know, I've worked in teams that hated to go into the trade 
because it was just not for them. You know what I mean? It's easier sitting with the agency. It's cooler, you know, or, or in your air-conditioned offices. And I think the point is you need to understand that, as you say, Aria, your whole ecosystem, your whole value chain, and, and your part that you play. Because also, you know, Gordon, I guess as, as, as a lot of people's careers meander, uh, it might not be linear. Huh? You may set yourself up on a linear path at 25, but at, by 35, you may find out through mergers, acquisitions, disinvestments, something's gone wrong and you need to have an understanding or at least have an empathetic view of somebody else's role because you may be asked to play that role, which is not on your linear path. So I'm going to leave it at that. Aria, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Well done again on, on, on being a finalist, top uh, rising star. One last question. If people want to get hold of you, how do they get hold of you at Tilt? And are you on any social platforms? Yeah, so easy. You just go to www.tilt.co.za and all my details are there. But go to Tilt before you uh, chat to me. Let's, do, let's, let's make something cool together. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Again, please do that. Be part of the conversation. Get hold of, of Tilt. Aria, thanks for your time uh, to our listeners out there gordon thanks i'll catch you next week and to all our listeners thanks for listening in ciao for now and so that was another episode of the doc and the guru please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on facebook like us follow us uh subscribe to the podcast and then from my side you can get a hold of me on linkedin dr doug Mataz. i'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond and hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. This podcast series has been made possible by The Salt, the influencer company that turns influence into affluence. In the same way that information is presented in this podcast in a relatable and authentic way, The Salt gets your customers to tell their real brand stories to their community. Go to thesalt.co.za to learn more about how The Salt can help you grow your business.